This morning I want to speak to you on the subject of living the good life. Living the good life. I would love, really if I had the time, I would love to survey you this morning and say, what is the good life? What is the good life? It's really a well-worn, probably worn out phrase, the good life, in our culture today. I wonder how many people have never even stopped to think exactly what it is. As was so uh, uh, persuasively commented on by Mr. Newton, uh, today, from the standpoint of most people who are in this country, who are uh, even whether they're football fans or not, today's all about the Super Bowl, as you know. If I, I, I have to, let me just disclaim to the beginning. I'm a football fan, so I'm not ragging on the event. Uh, I'll enjoy the game myself as well. And I usually uh, am very careful about using certain sports illustrations because typically there's always someone who says, I hate football <laughs> illustrations, and so I will avoid them. But today, I have an excuse. All right? so, so I'll make, I'll use them, I'll use that. A little bit. But here's what I was thinking. Tonight's Super Bowl actually may be best remembered. I don't know what's going to happen. But it may actually be best remembered for its commercials rather than the game. Now, I'm not sure what that says. <laughs> but what I do know is that in today's culture, the good life is equated with a lot of different things. Beer commercials tonight are going to tout that the good life is buying their beer and consuming as much as you can. Miller even calls their beer the high life. I'm sure the difference between good and high, but anyway, you can go. Fashion models are going to suggest that wearing designer clothes are going to make the difference in making the good life possible for you. Even automobile insurance companies will try to conclude that if you buy their insurance product, it will introduce you to the good life. Even wearing a certain kind of underwear made out of a certain kind of fabric is supposed to produce the good life. I, I haven't quite understood all those yet. But that's what is being sold. Everyone seems to have their version of what living the good life is all about. I believe there's a lot of confusion about the good life. And I believe the reason that many people conclude what the good life is and run towards it is because they're ignorant of the truth. For some people, the good life, there's several different confusions. I'm just going to mention to you three very quickly. For some people, they confuse the good life as looking good. That's what they think the good life is. Oh, the good life is all about how you dress, how you look, how much makeup you use, all of the things that we do for our appearance. People in our country in particular and the Western culture as a whole are preoccupied with appearance. Could anybody agree with that? I said we. We're preoccupied with appearance as if that's all that really matters in life. In the United States, our culture idolizes beauty puts a premium on being attractive, advertisers capitalize 
on this, knowing the promise of looking good will cause us to spend billions of dollars on beauty products, tanning salons, plastic surgery, fat suction, custom color coordination, and the latest styles in clothing. Other people confuse the good life with feeling good. Some people, it's all about looking good. Other people say, oh, no, it's about feeling good. Do whatever you, can, do whatever you want to do as long as you can feel good doing it. Their goal is the minimization of pain. They want to maximize pleasure, minimize pain, and they'll use whatever it takes to achieve it. For some, it's hot tubs. For some, it's Disney World. For some, it's cocaine. For some, it's virtual reality. For some, it's video games. Whatever. I'm not anti-necessarily any of those things. I actually am some of them. But anyway, the point, the point is feeling good especially the cocaine one. Right? <laughs> Feeling good, just, just trying to clarify. <laughs> Feeling good should not be confused with living the good life. The old 60s phrase, I know outdates many of you, but there was a phrase back in the 60s that said this, if it feels good, do it. That is the modus operandi for many in our country today. For others, the good life is confused with Having the goods, that's what the good life is equated to. You have the goods. That's another confusion. Many people's chief ambition is to collect as much stuff as they can. That's the goal of life. Just get as much stuff as you can. They make it as much as they, make as much as they can financially, and they spend it as fast as they can get it because there's nothing like a shaky economy to remind us that the good life cannot be purchased. Living the real good life is not about having the good. There's nothing wrong with having good things. There's nothing wrong with having money. The question is, does it have us? That is the issue. So, in fact, none of these things that I just mentioned to you will ultimately satisfy no matter what you do, you cannot stop the aging process. I know that's a revelation to some of you this morning, but I'm just here to declare it to you. No matter what you, can, what you try, you will not stop the aging process. Number two, pleasure and fulfillment are actually byproducts of the good life, not the goal of it. The greatest things in life are not things. So, Obviously, my introduction begs the question, well, then what is the good life? What is the good life? I believe it is the personal fulfillment and joy that comes from living for Jesus Christ and becoming a godly person. I would actually like to equate living the good life with being godly. Whoops. Not sure how popular that is. I'm going to let someone help me this morning by reading the passage of Scripture. Um, Patricia, do you mind reading for me? You have such a good reading voice. Jezra will find the Scripture for you. I'm going to let Patricia stand up and read it. It's a powerful few verses and found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. And as she prepares to read it, I want you to notice what it is describing. It's describing the life of the man or woman of God, all right? So this is the Apostle Paul. He's actually instructing young Pastor Timothy, and I want to connect the dots from this to living the good life, beginning in verse 11 through verse 14. 
But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to you. No, 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 excuse me. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep his commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Thank you so much, Patricia. Did you hear what these verses speak to. They speak to insights that we need to glean and gain in order to live the good life. Jesus said, John chapter 10 and verse 7, I have come that you might have what? Life and life more abundantly. My friend, that is the good life. That is the good life. Now, may I offer to you, taken here from 1 Timothy, um, some suggestions, insights that would help us all to live the good life. I'm going to offer to you three this morning. Number one, know what to flee from. Know what to flee from. Right there in verse 11, Paul tells this spiritual leader and his flock, learn to flee from certain things. Flee from these things. Now the word flee is an amazing word in the original language of the New Testament. It's actually the Greek word fuego, which is the same word that we actually kind of translate from, from a, a as a derivative of this word fugitive. So we get the English word fugitive from that word. So what would that suggest? The idea of fleeing as it is translated in most, most versions, but the word means to run, to flee, to run as if you're running from a wild animal. Run like a fugitive. May I suggest to you that there are certain things that as Christians we need to be, we need to be lifelong fugitives from certain things. You better learn to run. From certain things. If you think that this Christian life and journey of a disciple is just about, oh, just enjoy the good life. Oh, listen, the way to finally live the good life is first, you better learn what to run away from. Flee from certain things. And he's going to list for us some of these things. As a boy, I grew up in central Texas, right on the edge of what we call in Texas the hill country. The hill country is known for quite a number of things, but one of the things, in fact, a lot of Texas is known for is snakes. I mean, we've got snakes. We've got snakes that you've never seen before. I mean, we've got snakes that would rival. I, in fact, I was one of the first things I realized when we moved here in 1991, first couple of years, I said, honey, I'm just not sure there's many snakes out here. And, and people assured me there were, but nothing like in Texas. We're particularly known for rattlesnakes. Now, Steve, you were, you know, giving your past. I'll tell mine. Our mascot from my high school was the Rattlers. Now, what does that tell you about the area that I grew up in, huh? Woo. 
You don't want to mess with the rattlers, right? I was a young boy, spent a lot of time uh, during my early years outdoors. And you learned very young in Texas, if you're going to hike or you're going to go camping or you're going to do anything outdoors, you were trained from the time that you were a small boy or girl to beware of snakes. We learned what snakes were good, what snakes were bad. We learned which ones were poisonous, which ones were not. And that became very common for us. I'll never forget, I had many encounters with snakes. I remember one in particular where we were setting up camp. Uh, and a number of us were, were out camping in this uh, rural area and um, the side of a mountain that we were setting up camp. And so we were getting ready to put up our tents. And guess what? All of a sudden I heard that familiar sound, the rattle of the rattler on a rattlesnake coiled up right beside where I was moving a rock. Let me tell you something that you'll learn. You'll learn to do it very carefully, but you must learn how to flee. When you get close to the snakes that I grew up with, you learn what it means to run away from stuff. Now, the Apostle Paul provides us with, I think, a context that suggests some things that we're to run from. And the rest of the New Testament is very clear in some things that we're to run from. So I just thought I would give you some examples. Right? You can fill in the blank as you want to. You could probably come up with a lot of stuff that you need to run from. And some of you need to run from certain things that others of you don't have to worry so much about. Am I right? We all need to be pretty aware of what are the threats in our own walk. right? So let me just offer to you some uh, suggested threats that we all need to be aware of and be lifelong fugitives. The first is, and I think this is contextual, the love of money. If you go back just a couple of verses, you will find that Paul is instructing Timothy about the seductive nature of money, having the, not just having the money, but the love of money, that, that attitude that overtakes people with materialism and just wanting stuff. Now, as I said before, there's nothing wrong with being prosperous. There's nothing wrong with being blessed. In fact, I believe God would like to bless you financially more than you can even imagine. By the way, I think his purposes are not to give you six Mercedes Benz in your parking lot, but I believe it's probably to extend the kingdom of God around the world. Just a sidebar point. But my point is, it is God's desire to bless us. However, the problem is when the money gets a hold of us. And the love of money, as we know, is the beginning of many other problems. What are we to do about it? Run. You know what I've learned? There are actually some people, I remember the early days in, in the ministry, way back. We developed some friends in certain churches and certain ministries that were so, we didn't realize at the time, it took a while to figure it out, but they were so into the love of money and the love of things that it began to rub off. And I woke up one day and realized that, I mean, it was, it was getting all over me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you realized that the people that you spend time with, the people you fellowship with, will affect you, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? So we have to be careful who we spend time with. And, and I'm just telling you that it affected us to the point there was a period of time where we got swept away into a mentality and a lifestyle that was just all about accumulating stuff. I'm glad we got free from that. But I've learned when I begin to pick up on that 
attitude and that spirit, I've learned to back away and not spend too much time with those people. I've learned to flee. The Bible also tells us to flee from youthful lusts. 2 Timothy 2.22. So Paul, also speaking to Timothy, says, when you encounter sexual lust, immorality, which we all know our day is so influenced by, uh, to the degree now that we have trafficking issues and so much abuse that's going on in our world today, yes, even in this community and in this country. But Paul tells us it's really simple. Run. When you're faced with sexual immorality and even just youthful lust, the temptation to get swept away today, it's so evident, it's, it's everywhere. What do you do? Don't mess with it. Don't play games with it. Don't say, well, let's see if I can just try to keep it in its own little... No, it never stays in its own little container. It's always trying to break out and control you. So what's the answer? Fuego! Flee! Run! Don't rationalize. Don't debate with it. Don't try to negotiate with it. Just run. I think we're also confronted by many doctrinal beliefs that are weird and off-center, that are not Bible-based. Imbalances. And we're always seeing fads that come through the body of Christ. They come in and they go out and they come in. And come. We have to be careful that we're not swept away by what Paul says in Ephesians, every wind of teaching. Be careful for those winds. And I just try to avoid it. I just go away. There are certain things I appreciate. I'm thankful for Christian TV. I'm so thankful for great programming. But frankly, there's some programming you want to turn off. If it, if it does not exalt Jesus Christ and is not aligned with the Word of God, just turn it off. Go, go do something else more beneficial. And there's pride. There's so many things that we need to learn to flee from. So what's the first thing? First insight to living the good life is what? Knowing what to flee from. From Number two, second insight. I'm just going to give you three right here from the text. The number two is know what to follow after. It's right there in the same verse. Know what to flee from, flee from certain things. And then he says, but then there's certain things you're to follow after. This is the positive and the negative. The flip side of running away from things is there's certain things you need to run towards. Certain things you need to go after, run after with all your heart, all your strength. In fact, the scripture uses a beautiful Greek word, dioko, which means to hunt or to run after, to pursue, to follow after. It's, it's, a, it's like chasing down something. It's like chasing after God and the things of God. That's what it means to follow after certain things. This, as I said, is a direct contrast. I just want to let you in on one little word study secret from both of these two verbs that we use. First of all, the word flee, and now the word pursue. Both of them are in the present imperative tense, which means you are to do it and keep doing it all the time, nonstop. So we are to run away from. Some of us think we've done all the fleeing we need to do. We just need to keep running away. And we need to keep following after. It's not just a matter, oh, yeah, 18 years ago I pursued God. Oh, you better be a God chaser today. You better be running after him now and the things of God with all your strength, with all your might today. Because if you're not chasing after him, some other stuff will catch up with you. Now, there's a lot of stuff that the Scripture gives us 
as a whole to run towards. But this passage explains six specific virtues. And we could take a lot of time on each. I want to. I'll just touch on them very quickly. Six virtues that this passage lists for us. Here they are. He says, follow what? Pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. What a list. These are all wonderful virtues. Many of them explained in other places in the Bible. Let me just quickly explain, and most of them are self-explanatory. What does righteousness mean here? The word righteousness means a life of integrity. There's different words translated righteousness in the New Testament, but this one suggests a personal integrity. Living right from the inside out. Living right. We're to follow after that. Also, we're to follow after godliness. What does godliness mean? It literally means God-centeredness. God-centeredness. Is God at the center of your life? your existence? Does he make everything else make sense to you? If your life is not centered and balanced and aligned with him at the middle, you could be off just a few degrees and end up in tragedy for your life. Run after godliness. Three is faith. The word there is pistis in the Greek language. It simply means a belief and a trust, wholehearted trust, confidence in God and his word. What should we, we ought to be running after pursuing faith. We ought to be also pursuing love. No one's going to argue with that, right? Love never fails. Love covers a multitude of sins. We ought to be trying to grow and develop our love for God, our love for ourselves, our love for others, our love for our spouses, love for our families. Love would solve a lot of problems in our world. We need to grow in love. Number five, we need to run after perseverance. The word here is the word hupomene, which means to bear up under heavy loads. It means to run against a strong headwind. Resistance. It's suggesting there's always resistance. And if you ever discovered there's resistance, if you're trying to please God, trying to run after him, there's always resistance, isn't there? So what we need to learn is we have to bear up, have that virtue, the quality bears up under the load, runs against the resistance. It's a quality and a virtue that we can develop by letting the Spirit of God be in control in our life. And finally is gentleness. Some translations will use the word meekness here. It literally means the lack of harshness. Have you ever met someone that's abrasive? think the Bible is challenging us here. Pursue and run after a kind of a life and a virtue that's not abrasive. It's not harsh. And we don't have to be harsh with people. Next time you go through a, you know, a, a coffee shop or a, a grocery store or market or, or a fast food place, whatever it is, try not to be harsh. Don't be abrasive with people. Next time your neighbor's outside, don't be harsh with them. Let's demonstrate the gentleness. When the Spirit of God is totally in control of our life, we'll be gentle. Now, by the way, gentleness does not mean weakness. It does not mean being passive. It doesn't mean being just weaky, weak need, and, and, you know, kissy-poo, huggy bear kind of stuff. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean a strength under discipline, which results... The lack of harshness 
Wow, there's a lot of stuff to follow after, isn't there? Yeah. And by the way, this is inferred in the verses here, none of this stuff happens without personal intentionality and effort. Run away, pursue. You see the effort involved? That's our part. Let me lap, uh, wrap up with the third insight. That is number three. We need to know what to fight for. The passage starts by saying, flee from, follow after. Then he shifts and tells us in verse four, we need to fight. That's interesting. Now we're running away from things. We're pursuing certain things. Now he talks about being in a fight. In verse 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith. Now once again, knowing the language is really helpful here. The word fight is, in the Greek, agon, which we get our English word agonizing, agony from. It suggests an intense wrestling, the kind of intensity that you'll see tonight in the Super Bowl. Maybe. It's the idea of not just a wrestling match, but one that is really intense. When I and my boys were two and three and four and five years old, we used to have wrestling matches, and I'd have to hold back. That's not what this is describing. There's no hold back in this kind of fight it's describing. We're to fight the good fight of faith. Have you ever wondered why Scripture tells us it is a good fight? Have you ever wondered why the adjective is there, it's a good fight? Because it's a fight that Jesus has promised us ultimate victory. Wouldn't you agree? It's always a good fight if you're on the winning side. Huh? It's a good battle if you already know you're going to win. Guess what? I've read the end of the book. And if you read the end of the book, we know what happens, don't we? We know that Jesus is the victor. Isn't that right? Now, here we're told to fight. The Bible tells us in other passages that we're living the kind of life that we're to live as Christians, that it's a battle. Ephesians 6, 12 says, we're not battling with flesh. It's not me fighting with Stuart about something or you arm wrestling someone to see who gets to be the lead usher next week. It's not all about that. It's about a spiritual battle that's going on. It's a battle that we're living in. I think, it's, I think it it's very, makes a lot of sense why he threw this in right after talking about running from following after. It's a fight. Now, there are certain battlegrounds, and time won't allow to really delineate much, but I'll just mention them very quickly to you. There's three battlegrounds, I think, as Christians that we're engaged in. As we said, there's this battle going on. Let me, where are my battlegrounds? Did I not put them up there? Okay, let me give them to you. There's three battlegrounds for you. You ready for this? Number one, battle with the flesh. Number two, a battle with the world the cosmos, the world system, the culture. Do you all know we're in a battle? Number three is battling with the devil, Satan himself. We're in a battlefield with the flesh, the old man. We're in a battlefield with the culture, with the world system, and we're in a battle against the devil. Those are three different battlefields. Ed Silvoso once said, in active warfare, the most critical information is this. It's what you don't know. It's not what you know, it's what you don't know. Because if your enemy knows that you don't know, you're in trouble. The 
corollary is also true. It is fatal to step into a war zone, ignorant or unaware. The worst mistake you can make in war is to not know what or where the battleground is. If you don't know where the battleground is located, and you're just walking around like you're not on time, you can be in trouble very quickly. The Bible tells us that we're to fight the good fight of faith. Listen to me carefully, Christians. You are engaged in a warfare. Jesus has promised you victory, but you have got to fight it the way he's instructed you to fight it. You've got to wear his armor. You've got to wear the, the, and use the weapons that he's given to you. There are times, honestly, where we simply have to stand our ground. It's a fight. Just don't quit. Even if it looks like you're going to go down for the count, just never quit. God will cause you to be victorious. If you'll just believe his word, refuse to give up, this is a battle. It's true in all three battlefields. Stay in the fight of faith. Even if the devil may take you by surprise and maybe you lose a couple of rounds, the game's not over. Don't give up. Don't throw the towel in. Some of you have gotten frustrated lately in your Christian race. Don't get frustrated. Don't give up. Just because the devil maybe gets in a couple of good licks, maybe a right cross, maybe a left hook, you may be staggering a little bit. You may feel like you're bouncing off the ropes. I'm here to tell you today, that does not mean he has won the whole fight. Until the final bell has sounded, until the final seconds are off the clock. I'll use a Super Bowl analogy. A couple of weeks ago, Mr. Newton's favorite Seahawks were playing Mr. Pilon's team, the Green Bay Packers. I'm sorry to bring up personalities. <laughs> it's life, right? They were playing in the NFC Championship game, for some of you who don't know. And I'll just tell you a brief snapshot of the game. The game. Anybody who has any sense would have said the game, by the, by the beginning of the first quor fourth quarter, the game was over. Over. Done with. Who winning? Who was winning? Packers had it under control. I said, man, I'm not going to waste any time watching the rest of this. But that was a mistake because by the end of the game, there was a team, the Seattle Seahawks, who were absolutely determined to not give. They just kept on fighting. Now, I didn't have a dog in that hunt myself, but the point being, I was so impressed by the commitment to stay in the hunt and to never yield or give up. And I said to myself, wow, the Packers really deserve to win that game, but the Seattle Seahawks are in the Super Bowl tonight because they knew what? and how to fight. Saints, can I review what I've mentioned to you here today? That is these three insights. This will help you to live the good life. Number one, know what to flee from. Number two, know what to follow after. Number three, know what to fight for. God desires that you and I enjoy the fullness of of abundant life through Jesus. Amen. It's available for us. We have to choose it. 
And we have to live the way the Scripture directs us to in order to live the good life. Would you stand to your feet with me? Chrisana would come, please, to the keyboards, and our prayer ministry teams can come forward. This morning, if you are here and you've chosen before now to live the good life that's following after God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, you've made the right choice. There may be some of you here today that have never made a quality, total, all-in decision to live the good life, which is equal to living a godly life. This morning, if you're here and you want to make that decision, I'm just going to ask that you take advantage of the fact that we have prayer teams on either side of the platform this morning that are available for you to simply go to and let them pray with you. Or if you just have a spiritual need in your life, maybe you've been in that fight and you say, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Maybe you just need some more focused, concentrated prayer. Let one of these prayer teams pray with you for you today let God have his way don't run some of you are here today I felt this in prayer early this morning some of you are here running away from God don't run away from him run to him chase after him with all your might and all your strength would you let me just pray with you right now Again, take advantage of the prayer ministry that's available following the service. I just want to pray for you right now. Lord, there are some who are here today who have found themselves passively living, maybe even confused by some of the things we mentioned in the message today. Maybe they're confused about the good life and they think that it's appearance or stuff Lord I pray that today each of us would discover in a fresh way living the good life is living under the lordship of Jesus Christ Father if there's unyielded parts of our lives if there's areas God that you need breakthrough in our lives I pray today that as individuals and couples and families that are here today, that they would give you room and space to intervene in their life, even shake up our lives as we need to, God. Shake us up so that we will truly live under your authority and your lordship. Lord, I pray that our love, our faith would grow. I pray that our righteousness, our godliness would grow. Father, I pray that our gentleness would grow and develop as we pursue these virtues. Lord, forgive us for being just nilly-willy passive Christians who have been lulled to sleep and complacent. Awaken us, God, to an intentional, determined Life for you today. Touch and change us and refresh us in our desire to live for you, we pray. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, amen and amen.